You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. In chapter 2, and we will be in verses 12 through 17, Revelation chapter 2, 12 to 17. Here we are in a uh, Bible study this, right now, the seven churches. Uh, of Asia Minor here, so we're going through Revelation, and we're in the week seven uh, here of this series. Uh, so Revelation chapter two, we'll read verses twelve to seventeen. I'll start on twelve. Join me on thirteen. We'll read, we will read responsively down through verse number seventeen. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write. These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And let's pray together. Father, you know uh, these truths, and I pray that as we open up your word, uh, that you will enlighten each of us, and I pray that you'd help me to be a help to your people. And Lord, may we just apply the truths that we see uh, in our own lives, and in this time, and in this age. And so work now, please, for Christ's sake we pray. Amen. You can be seated. When we look at these churches, we started with Ephesus, and Ephesus was the careless church. Uh, then we looked at uh, uh, the church of Smyrna, and Smyrna uh, was the crown church. It was a church that had a lot of persecution. And now we come to the church of Pergamos. Now, uh, Pergamos, uh, this is what we would call the compromising church. This is a church that uh, though they had made some good decisions, they had uh, some positive areas, we find that there were also some areas where they, they had failed. Now, when we look at the seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, five of the seven uh, had been, been given uh, areas to correct. Uh, there were things that were wrong that the Lord was not happy with. And we have to remember uh, who was the one writing uh, this revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, it is the one that hath uh, the, the, the two-edged sword that's speaking, and he is the one that is communicating to his church 
And as he is doing so, uh, two of the churches we don't find anything wrong with. There isn't, not that it was a perfect church because they're people, uh, but there was no correction done. Uh, so the church at Smyrna uh, that we looked at last week, there was no correction. Uh, we looked at, uh, we will look at the Church of Philadelphia, and there will not be any correction. But when we look at all other uh, five of the church, five of these seven, there are areas where there was correction being given. Now, uh, Pergamos was called the greatest city in Asia Minor. So this was this was one of those cities that was a it was a very highly uh, thought of place. It was uh, it was probably one of the places that you would look at uh, that was probably the profitable city. Uh, if you were to look at an area and you'd say, you know what, there's no place like Linda. No, you wouldn't you would think that. You'd think, okay, maybe this city or that city, if you were thinking of, uh, of a rich city or a city full of uh, a lot of different culture. Uh, and that's what this city was. Now, we know that this is in Asia, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, but here we have this church, and it was a, uh, it was a, a place that uh, was a highly... Uh, thought of place. It, was, it had a lot of, uh, had a great, uh, 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 a, a lot of uh, prestige is the word that I was looking for. And so uh, it was just a very uh, prestigious place. And uh, one of the reasons they say that was because it was one of the, it was the first location to have a temple uh, that was uh, named after or dedicated to Caesar. And so here it was within the Roman kingdom, uh, Roman rule, and, and it, was, it was a place where uh, false cult, uh, uh, cultic uh, teaching there, uh, imperial worship was going on. And so that's probably uh, why it was such a popular place, because Caesar liked the fact that uh, he was being boasted on there. Things were being done in his name, and he was being worshipped. And so that was a big deal. Now, uh, that it could be uh, why the statement, look with me at verse 13, it says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. So this church uh, was working and dwelling in a place, uh, and it says, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast denied, not, not denied my faith, uh, even in those days where, Ant, where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. And so here you have Satan being uh, named twice. Uh, his throne uh, and where he dwelled, uh, where his seat was at and where he dwelled. And so it could have been because uh, this was a spiritual hot spot. You know, when we think about Afghanistan, when everything was going on over there and our troops were there, it was a, it was a hot spot. And if someone was being deployed, uh, there, were different, uh, there were different things that people would face knowing when they were going into a battlefield. Not just, not just a place where there were, could be deployed, but a place where there was active fighting going on. And so that would be a hot spot. Spiritually speaking, if Satan is taking up residence in an area, it is a spiritual hot spot. So these believers, uh, they were facing some very real, uh, some very real opposition. 
uh, and that was because uh, Satan was working very powerfully in this area. And so the Lord recognized that. He recognized the opposition. He recognized the persecution. He recognized that one of the people had stood and became a martyr for the Lord. So there was a lot going on. Now, uh, so Matthew 16, 18, uh, the Bible says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, here when we have uh, this church, this church was in a place, and they were, they were up against the gates of hell. They were, they were fighting uh, spiritual warfare. And so there was a lot that was going on there. Uh, gates, of course, they're a defensive mechanism. They are not an offensive. And so uh, Satan's seat, uh, the church is supposed to be attacking where Satan is at. We're not to just withdraw to where it's comfortable for us. We've got to go where the battle is at. And the battle is right on the front lines of getting people saved. It's right on the front lines of communicating truth. It is on the front lines of spiritual warfare. And here, this church was there. Uh, they were facing this battle. Uh, the Bible says in Jude, verse 22 and 23, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted uh, by the world and, or by the flesh. And so uh, here as believers, uh, we are supposed to be engaged in that uh, where we are going to the gates of hell and we are pulling people out of the fire. Uh, and that's, that's, the, that's the place where this church was at. Satan's seat was there. Satan, uh, his, he dwelled there. There was a lot of things going on. And so this church was a church, though they're going to get corrected on some things, we see that this church was a church that uh, did have a lot of things going for them. And spiritual warfare is not being waged primarily within the walls of the church house. Not saying that there isn't spiritual warfare. But the spiritual warfare is out in the battlefield. This is the training zone. This is, this is preparation. So we are equipped to go back out at where the battle is at and that we are able uh, to fight the battle. Uh, so let's look again. Revelations chapter 2, and we'll start going through uh, here. Revelations chapter 2. I hit my glasses and I can't see. There we go. All right, there we go. Oh, now I can see Nathan. Let me take him back off. All right, okay, so Revelation chapter 2, let's look at verse number 12. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Uh, go back a chapter to chapter 1 and look at verse 16. Chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And so uh, here we see that uh, these believers, the Lord is communicating who he is, and he is communicating his strength. You know, you and I are not going to get uh, the spiritual job done in our strength. 
Uh, we need the Lord, and He's the one that's going to give us the ability. Uh, he's the one that empowers. It's His Word. It's not our Word. It's not our personality. It's not our talent. It is not uh, our eloquence or, or our ability to be an orator, to communicate all the right answers. No, it's the Lord that fights the battle. And, and as the Lord is communicating here, first of all, who He is, and He shows who His strength is, he uses the sword. Now, commentators say that uh, the Roman uh, prefect uh, there, as, a, as they would, would move out from Rome and they would take over different areas, uh, that the symbol of the Roman power was the sword. And so these believers, they had, they had a very real fear of the sword. It was, it was not just symbolic. Uh, the sword was something that they knew very, uh, in a very real way. Uh, you know, when we, we think about persecution and uh, the Muslim countries and all these, the believers that uh, had been uh, beheaded for the Savior. You know, the believers that are in areas like that where the sword is used, when they think about a sword, they think about a sword in a completely different way than what we do. We think about a sword as uh, just a symbol of power. We think about a sword as a, a relic, something to, to have. I have a sword in my office, and uh, it is something you look at and say, oh, that's nice. That's a nice sword. Uh, but it's not something that we use. It's not some, I don't, I don't fear. I walk into that office and I see the sword. Uh, I'm not fearful of it. It's just a symbol that reminds me, I think about the word of God when I think about the sword. Uh, but uh, other than that, there is no fear. But these believers, when they thought about a sword, when a sword was brought up, they were very conscious of the fact that uh, people are dying by the sword, by the power of the Roman government, by the oppression that they were facing. And we're going to see that these, these believers, uh, they had some great persecution that they faced. So when the Lord was sharing uh, his information about the sword, he was communicating that he has the strength that's stronger than the Roman sword. You know, the Lord is stronger than any opposition that we're going to face. No matter what the government does, the Lord's stronger. No matter what power gets used against us, God is a stronger God. Uh, he, has, he is uh, the, the Word of God. He does have that sword. He knows how to wield that sword. He knows how to protect us. And so uh, as a believer, we just have to trust God. We have to just trust that uh, if he allows something to happen in our life, he allows something to happen within our church, he allows something to take place within our, within our, uh, our church or within our country, uh, there may be persecution coming. There may be some things that we're going to face. But you know what we have to keep our eye on? Not the strength of the enemy. We've got to keep our eye on the strength of the Lord himself. He's the one that's going to get us the, give us the ability to continue. So let's look at uh, several things. First of all, we're going to see the approval uh, that the Lord makes as he co co connects here to this church uh, in Pergamos. He said to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works 
and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who is slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So these believers, they stayed true to the faith even in the midst of persecution. Persecution to death, yet the believers didn't back down. That's pretty amazing. Now, years ago, I, uh, I heard about uh, uh, people that were, uh, and I don't know if it was something really, truly that happened, uh, but you hear about uh, years ago, when I was a teenager, I heard about people that would go into a church and uh, have guns and, and say, okay, if you're a Christian, line up against the wall and we're going to kill you. If you're not a Christian, leave. And people would, would turn around and leave. And then the people would take their masks off, set the guns down. Okay, we just wanted to find out where the r- real believers were at. And, you know, somebody did that here, they'd get shot. Uh, you know, and I would definitely not want anybody ever to do something like that. But, You know, I wonder what it takes to separate the believers that stood versus the believers that did not stand. Because it's real easy to say, well, I'm going to stay true to the Lord till death. I think I remember Peter saying that. And in a time of fear, a time of peer pressure, He failed. But I'm so glad the Lord didn't leave him there. You know, we all have times where we're strong, and we all have times when we're weak. You know, the Lord doesn't, he doesn't discard us. But here, these believers, they were believers that the Lord himself was looking and saying, you've been faithful Even in a day when people were being killed, martyred uh, for my sake, you stood, you you stayed true to the one God. Now, they say, commentators are saying that during this time when uh, Caesar's temple was there, that people were required to go by an altar, and they were to drop incense on this altar and, and declare, Caesar is Lord. And if they did not walk across and say, Caesar is Lord, then they would be killed. And so, obviously, then, there were believers who would not do so. And so, what were they, what were they identifying? They were identifying that the Lord was Lord, and that Caesar was not Lord. They were not going to uh, allow the pressure of the world to cause them to, uh, to turn away from uh, the one true God. And so, uh, so they were uh, willing to stand for, for truth. Uh, it, it's more important for the church to fear Christ's sword than the Roman sword. You know, God... God's going to hold us accountable. Now, he's not gonna, he, he hath not appointed us under wrath. But, but we should recognize what power we need to be submitting to and submitting to the Lord. And so here we see this accusation or approval. Uh, the approval here is that this church stayed true to the one true God. Uh, they, they were not willing to deny who the Lord was. Now, you can stand true in one area 
and then make some other terrible decisions. And that's where we're going to come to the second point, is we see first the approval, but secondly, we see an accusation. Verse number 14, he says, but I have a few things against thee. All right, remember when he was talking to, to the church at Ephesus? But I have a few things against thee. There were, there were some things the Lord was saying, okay, you're doing some things right, but there are some other things that you're not doing right. And doing one area right does not give us a pass on other areas. You know, just because we have one area right doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want in other areas. And the Lord is watching and here this church, he commends them for the right, but he's not giving them a pass on the wrong. He goes on, he says, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to, to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So thou, uh, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, remember in, the, uh, in Revelation, when we were looking at uh, the church of Ephesus, also the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was, was mentioned. Now, in the church of Ephesus, they were commended because they hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which the Lord hated. Now, this church in Pergamos, they had embraced, they had allowed within the church people who had held to. Now, uh, the word hold to is used uh, three times in this passage. And as you look at it, it is, it's to grab a hold on. It is to adhere to. And so these people, though they knew it was something that God hated, they grabbed a hold of it, and they were unwilling to give it up. And the church said, oh, that's okay, because they're right in this other area. And the Lord said, uh-uh. He said, no, this, this is something that within the church, we've got to make sure that we are not allowing this to happen. And so he was talking about the doctrine uh, of the Nicolaitans. So, so here, uh, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, uh, the doctrine of Balaam. Now, we've got to remember that the doctrine is just teaching. So we have the teaching of the Nicolaitans, then we have the teaching of Balaam, and the Lord is accusing them about those people that are within the church that were, uh, that were doing, that had embraced this, they had held to this. Uh, so uh, now, we, I want to back up a little bit and see who was being called on the carpet here. So uh, go back, if you would, to, uh, to Revelations chapter uh, 2 and look at verse number 12. Revelation 2, 12. He said, and to the angel at the church in Pergamos write. Okay, so the Lord here is talking to the angel at the church at Pergamos. Go back to chapter 1 and verse number 10. Chapter 1 and verse 10. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Uh, and now skip down to verse number 20. 
of Revelation 1. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So we know that the seven candlesticks were representing the churches themselves. Uh, The star that was in his right hand, those seven stars, they were the seven angels. The seven angels, the angel there is the messenger. So the messenger to the churches, he's talking to the pastors. Now, what the, pa- what the Lord is doing is he's writing these churches under the angel at the church of, and he's naming these churches. What we find is that the pastor is being called in on the carpet. He is, he is addressing the pastor of those churches. Now, there were things that were going on in the pew But the Lord was holding the pastor accountable. He's the one that he's calling in. And as he is doing so, what we find is God places people in positions of leadership, and it's not an unaccountable position. I've had people tell me, well, you're the pastor, you just do what you want to do. (laughs) It's like, I don't know where, what kind of church you're thinking church is, but... This church isn't my church. This church is the Lord's church. And with that, there is an accountability that is there. And so uh, the weight is not on a pass, or the weight is not on a board, it's not on a staff, it's not on a group of people. The weight is on the pastor, on that ultimate weight is on the pastor. When I was an assistant, I was an assistant for 17 years, and I was in my 18th year uh, when I came here. And, uh, and with that, uh, probably the greatest thing that I, I recognized when we came here, it wasn't the workload, because when we first came here, we were a lot smaller, and the workload compared to the workload that I had carried uh, at, at uh, Bethel was a lot less. But the weight was completely different. There was a complete different weight of responsibility that was there. Why? Because I'm going to give an account to God for everything goes on at Bible Baptist Church. You know, when I was an assistant, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. Oh, let's drop this. Let's drop that. All of a sudden, when I was the pa- became pastor, it was like, okay, let's think about this. And before, I would be a lot quicker in making decisions. And not saying you still can't make decisions, some decisions quickly, but there's, there's a different weight. And here what we find is that the pastor is being, he is the one that is being called on the carpet here. Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And look with me at verse number 7. The Bible says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end 
of their conversation. Uh, so here, this is a directive that's being given, and as that direction is being given, it is, it is to the follower uh, to follow those that have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. Now, it's not a, this is not a positional leadership. This is a leadership for those that are uh, giving that truth. Go to verse 17. He said, Obey them which have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so here, this church had allowed some things to go on in the church, and the pastors did not correct it. They did not address it. And with that, what happened was the Lord called the pastor on the carpet and said, hey, I've got some things against you. I am, I am not happy with this. And, and so uh, here, this church in, in uh, uh, Pergamos, it had been infiltrated with some other doctrines, doctrines that were not Bible. And so the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the word Nicolaitan, uh, that doctrine is to have the rule over. And so that was a, that was a teaching that was trying to bring in uh, all these other powers, all these uh, other uh, roles to where people were having, were becoming uh, lords over God's heritage. And that's not God's plan. Uh, that's not his intent. Uh, and so that's what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans were. Uh, but then uh, we see that there was the doctrine of Balaam. And, and what the devil could not do by being a roaring lion, he was able to accomplish through a deceptive serpent. The deceptive serpent was able to bring people into the church to infiltrate the church to where the church was not effective. Sure, they didn't bow to Caesar, but they also didn't stand up against this false doctrine. And, and this was something that the Lord was very concerned of. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And we do have an adversary. But this adversary doesn't always present himself as a lion. The adversary sometimes shows up as a serpent. Go to, Acts, or go to Genesis chapter number uh, 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What do we find? What is the devil doing? He is undermining the authority of God's word. He is challenging God's word. He is not standing up, or he is, he is causing the woman to doubt God's word. Uh, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of, of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then you, shall your eyes be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit of the trees and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, you know what? When you think about the sin that cast humanity into a sinful state, separated from God, now deserving to spend an eternity uh, absent God in a place called hell, you would think that that sin would be more than just taking and eating a piece of fruit. I wonder how many things that we just think are insignificant. God doesn't. God doesn't. The serpent... He was deceptive. What did he deceive on? He deceived on something small. You can have the orange, just don't eat the apple. You can have the peach. It wasn't an apple. No doctrinal, the, no theological uh, debate later. I know it wasn't an apple. But it was just a different piece of fruit. It was a fruit. It was edible fruit. What's the difference? Pretty small. But it wasn't small to God. God put, put them out of the garden. God put an angel, a cherubim with a sword... Death began. The process. You and I, when we are born into this world, I mean, we start a process of death. We are one second closer to dying. Every, every second, every day. It all happened over eating a piece of fruit. And here, what do we find? The devil, he works he is a deceiver. You know what he wants to do in church? He just wants to get people to, well, you know, that's not that big a deal. Let's, let's go ahead and make this change. That's not that big a deal. We can drop these standards. We can drop this conviction. And you know, it really doesn't matter what Bible we use. It doesn't really matter. Does the music really matter? Uh, does, does the teaching really matter? As long as we're all going the same place. Isn't that what's happening? It's happening everywhere. And the Lord said, I've got something against you. And here, uh, this, they, had been a, they were embracing this. And the little things that we think, my, the things that we think are little, I wonder if God thinks they're little. So here he's, uh, the doctrine of uh, Nicolaitans, uh, referred to, as I said, in verse number six of chapter two with the church at Ephesus, uh, is named again in, with the church here at Pergamos. Uh, but then, uh, what do we find? We see the doctrine of Balaam. Uh, the doctrine of Balaam, uh, here it's there holding to, they're adhering to the doctrine of Balaam. Uh, and with that, uh, this, this uh, doctrine of Balaam they have embraced it. They have grabbed a hold of it. Now, the doctrine of Balaam is what we can see in Numbers chapter 22 to Numbers chapter 25. Uh, Numbers 22, 6 says this, uh, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, and curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, uh, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot 
that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. Now, Balaam was a prophet of the Lord. Uh, Balaam was known that if he blessed somebody, they were going to be blessed. Balak was the king of Moab. The Moabites were the enemies of God's people. And here you have this godless king comes to the prophet of Israel and he says, listen, uh, I want you to curse Israel. I'll, I will take care of you. You curse Israel. I know who you curse will be cursed. That'll give me the victory. Uh, I know that Israel's too strong for me, so we can't win. But if you'll curse them, they'll be cursed and we'll have victory. Balaam said, let me pray about it. You know what? There's some things you don't have to pray about. You don't have to pray about, Lord, do I disobey you or do I not disobey you? You know, we don't have to pray about what God has already revealed in his word. Now, the prayer without ceasing is not asking God, should I disobey? The prayer, prayer without ceasing is communicating with God. That should be a normal step that we are always communicating. And so here, this doctrine of Balaam, uh, Balaam here was tempted by Balak, and he said, well, let me talk to the Lord about it, and he was told not to do it. Uh, and what do we find? We see him going back and forth, but we find when it's all said and done, Balaam's bones are found with the enemy of God's people. Balaam is called out here in Revelation chapter 2 because he taught them. He put a stumbling block before God's people. He didn't curse them, but he said, you know what, Balaam or Balak? If you get them to start worshiping false idols, you start getting them to offer things or eat things that are, that are offered to idols. He said, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get them to stumble. He cast a stumbling block. Now, when we go into, into the New Testament, eating things that were offered to idols were not sin. It wasn't a sin, but it was a stumbling block. What did Paul say? I will not eat that which was offered up to an idol if it causes my brother to stumble. He knew that it was just meat. And what was happening here is Balaam, Balaam knew, and so what he was doing, he was teaching the wicked how to trip up the godly. You know, how many times have we seen believers that end up tripping up another believer? That's the doctrine of Balaam putting the stumbling block, causing somebody to go down the wrong path. And here, the Lord said, listen, I've got something against this church because these are, this is going on. You know what? Uh, the pastor didn't do anything about it. And the Lord's chewing them out over it. But so we see here this admonition, or we see, see the admonition, or the uh, uh, first was the approval, then we see the accusation, lastly we see an admonition, and the admonition, now it goes back to the individual. You know, you and I, I will, I will, I will as a pastor, I will answer for this ministry. 
but you will answer for yourself. And here, when it comes back to the admonition, let's go quickly. I know I'm out of time. Uh, uh, look at verse 16. He said, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Uh, so the accusation was given to the pastor. The admonition was given to each individual. Now, it's not just what does the pastor, what does the Lord call the pastor on the carpet, and the pastor is supposed to communicate that to the church. Now, individually, everybody's responsible. Do I have an ear to hear? Am I listening? Am I going to respond? And the Lord says the one that responds, that has the ear to hear, the one that responds, that's the one that's the overcomer. That's the one that's going to be given uh, the blessings here. Uh, and he uses, uh, just learned this today, uh, but he uses a white stone. They say in the Roman days that a judge, if they, were, if they had a case being tried against someone, if they were going to uh, give a... Uh, uh, an appeal uh, or to, uh, to somebody, if there was an uh, acquittal, uh, they say that if someone was going to be acquitted of a charge, that they, the judge would take and he would place a white stone there in a vessel right before everybody. And putting that white stone there was saying you are acquitted of all judgment. You know, the Lord gives salvation he gives salvation individually. And you know what he's given to us? A white stone. We're acquitted. There's, there's no judgment coming our way. And uh, the trial at that point is over. And so they say that the judges would, would put that white stone uh, to symbolize that acquittal verdict uh, that would be given. And the individuals here that are going to have the ear to hear and that repent and do what they're supposed to do, uh, judgment's removed. Judgment's removed. As we had our time of prayer and I bowed my knees here. You know, it's just, Lord, you said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. All that we have, we come to God and he is merciful and gracious, but he's forgiving. And he is willing to give us that acquittal. He's willing to remove away any judgment but we've got to respond, and it's all individually. What are we going to do with truth? What are, are we going to have the ear to hear? Are we going to uh, stand for truth and not allow the compromise? This church was, was uh, called on the carpet. This church was called out because there was compromise. They allowed things in that should not have been allowed in the church. And in doing so, it impacted the whole body of believers. And so uh, this here, Revelations chapter number two, we see here the church at Pergamos, the compromising church. Let's not be a compromising church. You know, if we're, if we're going to be, I would rather be too hard on some areas, too far to the right, 
as opposed to too far to the left. I, I, would, I would rather err to safety than err to, to error. And let's not, be, let's not be people of compromise. Father, I do pray that you'd help us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look at these churches and see some uh, errors that they have in their life, Lord, you've pointed out some things in my own life. And I pray that you'd help me, uh, Lord, to be what I need to be. And Lord, recognizing uh, the church is yours and we come before you uh, as your children. Lord, we want to follow you. We want your blessings in our life. And so I pray that you'd help us to recognize the error uh, when, when things pop up. Uh, help us to have insight and wisdom. May the Spirit of God uh, just bring uh, truth to light, uh, and may we have the ability to see error. So uh, bless us as we endeavor to follow you, please, for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll have a short invitation. Uh, if the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, you respond. Maybe there's some areas where we have let some things slide. Maybe we have got a little passive. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.